Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health issues in the legal department. I'm Mark Yacono, your host, and this podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay in Africa, the world's leading legal recruitment firm. Today, I have the immense pleasure of having Dr. John Ogrodnichuk from the University of British Columbia as our guest today. He has specialized in mental health issues related to men and is doing some very innovative things in the field. I'm going to call you John. John, would you care to to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and the great work you're doing? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, we do a lot of work here. Uh, I'm in the Department of Psychiatry here at UBC and director of the psychotherapy program. So we train our residents in psychotherapy. And uh, one of the areas that uh, we're quite involved in is working with with men. And sort of the premise of, or there's a few premises behind their our initiative was that A, we recognized that suicide rates among men were very, very high, about three to four times higher than women. And this is essentially a global phenomenon. In some places, a little lower, other places, much higher the disparity in um, the suicide rates. And then also, we knew that men don't avail themselves of health services nearly at the rate as women do, and that includes mental health uh, services. So we tried to figure out a way to connect with men in a different way, knowing that what we were doing wasn't working very well. So we dipped our toes into sort of the e-space, if you will, uh, not exactly knowing what we were doing because we were complete newbies at that, but there is literature out there indicating that men do go to the internet looking for health information and ways to sort of self-help when a health issue arises for them. So we thought we'd try connecting uh, with them in that space uh, around the specific issue of depression in men, knowing that uh, undiagnosed and or poorly treated depression is a major risk factor for suicide. So we kind of took an upstream approach by saying if we can address depression in men, we might be able to make a mark on suicide rates uh, downstream for them. I, yeah. I think that's critically important. And for the listeners, the suicide rate among male lawyers is even higher than the suicide rate among the general population. Mm-hmm. So you have a population at risk that's on top of a population at risk. Right. And, it is, and it is a significant problem. Now, when you and I met this summer by telephone, John, one of the things we talked about was that in terms of symptoms, depression in men often manifests or sometimes manifests differently than sort of the classic signs of depression that are more commonly associated with the symptomology related to women. Can you share with our listeners some of the things that that present that are unique to sort of male pattern depression, if you will? Yeah, the the way I like to put it is some of the early indicators of depression uh, in men can look a little different than in women. You know, if we take sort of the illness spectrum from full wellness to 
full-on uh, serious depression. Depression really hits hard, men and women the same. The, the, the sort of the classic symptoms, if you will, are there. But the early indicators of depression look a little different in the way that men are tend to be more irritable, angry, some of their coping mechanisms for dealing with what's going on with them uh, are, are a little different. They'll, they'll likely turn to substances uh, more than women. Also risk-taking, and risk-taking is not uh, associated with particular behaviors or actions, like jumping out of a, uh, a plane, parachuting, when you never really had an interest in it before. It's more the attitude around risk-taking about not caring about consequences, like, I just don't care anymore. And so these are some of the uh, sort of early warning signs, if you will, that arise in men that are important to be mindful of when we're thinking about depression in men. So how is it that um, someone begins to understand the difference between perhaps early warning signs of depression and maybe they're just a cranky human being? Like the 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 one thing that struck me when we spoke this summer and when you spoke just now is that those early warning signs, or at least some of them, could be attributable could be attributable or or are often attributed to someone's just general personality type. And um, I'm curious, like, what are the things you see that would lead you to suspect depression versus just a personality type? Well, it's an important point that you bring up, and in the way you describe it is almost the answer to if if what you know that that just general crankiness that you're talking about, if that's kind of how the person has always been, there's a greater likelihood that that's more part of their personality or their character, or if there's been a shift in how the person is, that is more likely to be indicative that there's something new, something uh, coming on, and, and thus might be mindful of perhaps depression being uh, sort of the, the underlying cause for that change. Like, for example, if somebody's, you know, generally socially pleasant, but then uh, over a shorter period of time is sort of isolated himself a bit, is kind of irritable around people, uh, gets set off a little quicker, then it's like, well, that's out of character for this person. I wonder what's going on. So behavioral shifts could definitely mm -hmm. be an indicator versus mm -hmm. their everyday state of being. Right. Now, um, when you can you just can you talk a little bit about uh, the e mental health initiative for the listeners? Um, the website is called Heads Up Guys uh, Manage and Prevent Depression in Men. It's headsupguys.org, and it's a really it's a really amazing site filled with tons of resources. And I'd like you to explain for the listeners how it works because for those people out there who may be suffering and haven't yet figured out to address the issue, there are some tools to help them um, understand whether they ha potentially have a problem or not. And I'd love you to talk about this amazing site. Sure. Do we have that kind of time? <laughs> I can talk to no end about this, but I'll try to keep well, it get concise. Rolling. Get rolling, my friend. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, about four and a half years ago, uh, you know, I, I 
I gave a prelude to it a few moments ago, uh, entering into this space, creating this uh, online resource called Heads Up Guys. And it's a place where guys and, and people in their lives can come to to learn about depression. And it's a very, very comprehensive resource. So it, it goes through the signs and symptoms of depression, some of these early warning signs that we were just talking about as well. Um, we address head on the issue of suicide, not trying to sort of tiptoe around it, but acknowledge that this is a real issue. A lot of people who suffer from depression also suffer from suicidal ideation. Uh, and it's important to recognize that if somebody is feeling like this, they're certainly not alone in that. Um, and we have a, we call it a self-check. And so this is a, a depression screening tool that we have on there and encourage users to use. And indeed we do. I think we've had more than 150,000 men fill this thing out. And by the way, uh, indicating that about 76% of the people who do fill it out um, screen for moderately severe or higher depression. So we're really hitting our target market as far as that kind of data is suggesting. And so what we do is we educate, we bring to awareness what depression is. The whole time we are trying to use language that destigmatizes the issue of depression. And it's, that's really, really important. And so we're trying to minimize the use of medical jargon, um, um, make sure that guys know that it's actually a pretty common thing uh, amongst men. Um, a lot of men often feel alone in their experience of depression, so we're trying to counteract that. What are some of the medical phrases that you replace with less technical language? Because I think that a lot of the writing does throw around a lot of more medical jargon or, or terminology, to be fair. And I'm curious how you translate that into accessible language that isn't frightening or hard to grasp. Geez, I wish I had a clear example of what to do. It was more just general writing style that we tried to, to use that is just kind of normal discourse, if you will. Um, so for is that example- what you mean by normalizing depression? Yes, two things. Uh, so the, the, the type of language we use are just using normal social discourse, really, uh, to make it accessible. And the other thing about normalizing is to bring to awareness just how common depression amongst men is. So, and so that, I think, seems, yeah. that seems really important because mm -hmm. isolation and, 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 and loneliness seem to be accelerants to to a depressive state. And mm -hmm. it sounds to me like by 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 communicating the fact that this isn't an uncommon illness, in some respects you're trying to um dissipate that feeling of isolation, that they're they're abnormal or they're alone. Is that a fair kind of takeaway mm -hmm. from what you what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And and you know, in a sort of um a tangential side note, but it's relatable to this, what we're talking about is, you know, I'll often have men come into my office and they'll say, Doc, well, you know, I'm, I'm not your regular guy. 
I said, well, what do you mean? And they say, well, I'm here. <laughs> it, meaning that normal guys don't go to the doc for, for help with mental health uh, problems. And then when I say, you wouldn't believe how many men are in this chair who have said the same thing to me. And it's like you can physically see the sense of relief come. And it's like, I'm not the only one. And so that's what we tried to do. <laughs> tried to do through through our website as well, saying you are not the only one. I think that is a, a tremendously positive strategy because I do think that the stigma around getting help and the traditional notions of masculinity and, and the idea that you have to be strong, tough it out, go it alone, often exacerbates the situation. I think the other thing that was interesting to me is when we were talking this summer, you indicated that really it, it's men from all walks of life, some with very high-performing, high-pressure jobs, some with different types of professions, but it, 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 isn't, um, it, 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 it doesn't discriminate, and in, in, in um, depression doesn't really discriminate. No, depression does not discriminate. Uh, at all, it's an equal opportunity illness. Um, it's going to hit everyone. And that's also really important for people to know. And we've actually shaped some of our campaigns around this very issue. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, one campaign that we did um, a couple years ago, uh, we oriented it around male athletes who have spoken publicly about their own challenges with depression. So every day of the, uh, every working day of the week throughout the month of October, I believe it was, we profiled the new male athlete who talked about his his journey with depression, and then compiled all of these stories into a single article at the uh, end of the month. And that that campaign during the campaign month brought in a significant increase in traffic to the site. We can only interpret that a lot of people resonated with the stories that were being shared by the athletes and say, hey, you know, if these guys who we often think are invincible get depression and are also talking about it, maybe it's okay for me to share what's going on with myself. And, and you know, secondary benefit from all of this is that, and so really the only thing we did with athletes, but over time after the campaign was done, it got so much traffic. Now that in Canada, if you go to the Google and just type in athletes with depression, Heads Up Guys comes up as the number one search result wow. from That's that single impressive. article. I think in the United States we're in the top five or something, but it's amazing. And so, so people want to hear these stories. They want to know that they're not alone in that, and and that yeah, it it can get everyone, even the the rich and famous, so to speak. Well, that's um, that's a really fascinating the the way you were able to drive traffic and and, and how um, how viral it went really. Yeah, the way you the way you're describing it. Now, when it comes to this 150,000 men who have taken this self-screening um, or the self-check, I think it's called on your website, mm -hmm. um, 
Do you have any data, and it may be impossible because of resources, to know um, if there's been any sort of after action after someone takes this check, and, and especially since you got the results that you got were a significant portion kind of screened positive for depression? Yeah, so what happens is when people do the screen, and depending on the, the screening score, they receive different prompts. And so the more severe the score, uh, the more firm we are in the prompts of what to do about take this, uh, you know, to your family doc or please visit uh, your nearest hospital emergency department as soon as possible. You know, so we have some of these, but but we have no idea just because we exist in an online space, we have no idea what actually happens to people after they take the screen. We can track which pages they will go to. Uh, sometimes, you know, if we uh, can, can sort out the IP addresses, or sometimes we just receive unsolicited sort of testimonials. Um, and in a way, that's more impactful for us because it means somebody took the time to come to our site and made some sort of impact on them and they wanted to share with it or share that with us and sometimes they're they're pretty profound like I'm maybe three weeks ago I no it was a month ago now I was in Poland giving a presentation about heads up guys and the day before I left we got one of these uh, email testimonials and it's just it was two short sentences it said I read your article on managing suicidal thoughts. That's one of these um, blog type articles that we have. Thank you. I'm pretty sure it saved my life and gave me some hope for tonight. And it's like wow. that, and that hits you hard. That's profound. Yeah. I think for the listeners out there, one really important takeaway is if you're feeling like you may have an issue, go to Heads Up Guys, take the check, and the beauty is it is giving you prompts based on your scores, some, mm -hmm. some things and suggestions and recommendations as you what you should do. So it's not of a self-help test where you're stuck with the results with no sort of directional guidance what to do. It is an important way and maybe orienting you to how you begin to access care. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that actually takes me to some other parts of the website you're asking me to describe. We try, we try to get guys going along the help-seeking pathway. And so we start with self-help strategies. So we, we have a, a large number of self-help strategies, things that somebody can do on their own to not only manage the depression, potentially recover, but also how to live well and then trying to integrate others into that help-seeking space. So pointing people toward health lines or crisis lines, how to have conversations with friends, how to bring up the issue of depression with your family doc, and ultimately what mental health professionals are out there who can help, you know, the differences uh, between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, for example, and how to access those people and what they can do for you. So we, and, and conversation starters again, because, you know, it's surprisingly, sometimes guys will say, yeah, I need, I need, I know I need to get some help. 
I want to go see my family doc, but I don't actually know what to say to her to say what's wrong. And so we, we actually just help with conversation starters even. There's a, on the Heads Up, Guy, Heads Up Guys website, there's a tab that says Take Action. Yeah. And that's where you have the practical tips, yep. reaching out to friends and professionals, uh, guide to professional services, and then basically the outline of what an action plan might look like. So it is really a very logical, orderly way to take someone through the spectrum of things they might do if they're suffering from depression or think that they are. Yeah, yeah, we spent an enormous amount of time working with sort of the the content architecture, if you will, just how things are going to be laid out, trying to be as logical as we can. And also, uh, we have a lot of information and we didn't want to put all that information out on the screen at once. We wanted it layered. We're putting ourselves in the mind of a guy who who is struggling, looking for help. He comes across heads up guys. And you know, when you're depressed and you're tired, uh, can't concentrate, you can't be hit with a wall of text. And so we, we really tried to be mindful of that and, and give guys something, you know, if they can concentrate for 30 seconds, we want them to be able to take away something. But if they want more, they can dive into the next layer and get that. So you're breaking down the barriers 30 seconds at a time if necessary. Kind of like that, yeah, yeah. And an important part of that whole development is my my project coordinator, Joshua Bahari. He's a guy with lived experience with depression to the point where uh, he tried to take his life. And so his insights into shaping how he did things were, were enormously um, helpful. And so... Um, I think that's a really important thing. So it's not just, you know, some egghead academic that's, <laughs> that thinks he knows what uh, ought to be out there, but we really wanted to make sure that we, you know, respected the perspective of our potential user. And it's like, you know, what what is it that they want, you know, and how do they want to access that kind of information? Well, for our listeners, I encourage you to go to headsupguys.org, whether you're a male, female, or anyone with depression, thinking of depression, or thinking a family member has depression. It's a remarkably intuitive, user-friendly website, um, and, and, and it is just filled with easy-to-access resources. I'd like to segue, if we could, to treatment modalities for men. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit or a lot of bit of a neophyte, but I have read some information in the literature that men sometimes diff- need different therapies and are traditionally used to, to address depression and, and mental illness issues, that, that there isn't sort of um, the spectrum of things we think about. Don't It's not one size fits all. And, and I'm curious, are there any particular strategies or, or, or modalities that are geared towards the mental health issues as they manifest in men? You know, I've, Mark, I've, I've read a lot about how men potentially could need uh, sort of different approaches to therapy, um, like you were just saying, and I have to admit I don't buy that. Uh, each 
individual, whether male or female, requires a personalized approach. And uh, what might work for one guy is not necessarily going to work for another guy. And I think clinicians need to be really mindful and respectful of that. I would say, you know, reflecting on my my own experience working with men clinically is that I, if there's anything that I might do slightly different with men than with women is my language is a little different. I'm a little bit more direct in my, um, a, with, with one of my words, uh, I am not using, say, a softer tone, and that's not to suggest that with female clients, they, I always use a softer tone, but it's, um, a lot of guys are fearful of being in therapy, especially if they've never been there before. And, and uh, oddly enough, a lot of them think that my job is to make them cry right away. And so that's one of the things that I am mindful of where I don't have, say, a softer tone and try to really be um, uh, I'm, the word sensitive comes to mind. That's not the right word, but uh, I, I don't try to invoke. You're not trying to pander to the sentimental, sad side of that. You put it in them. such a much more eloquent way than I can think of right now. That's exactly it. And it's like we're here to get some work done. That's that's really what my approach is. And I use a variety of strategies and interventions that cut across theoretical models in a way that works for this person. One thing that um, I guess it, it kind of disturbs me, but, but it may be just my idiosyncrasies, is a lot of the articles and things that are being written, and not necessarily by mental health providers, but by consultants and coaches and, and the like is the idea that depression is transactional, that you're sad because of circumstances and that you, if you get therapy and a little bit of medication for a period of time, you'll be fine. And I'd like you, I'd like you to talk about that because from my own experience as someone who has a biological disease, I know it's not transactional. I know it's not going to be fine you know, three weeks later. I, I know it's going to be this way forever if I don't embrace certain treatment modalities. And and I'd like you to kind of talk about that because it often gets it often gets just thrown into the scrum of someone's having a bad time right now when in reality someone could have a biological illness. Yeah, because essentially what you're talking about when you're referring to transactional illness or or it, it, that's that's often what's referred to as an adjustment disorder. That is not depression. You're right. Depression can be there with you for a very long time, regardless of circumstance. Sometimes the circumstances make things worse. But on the other hand, when circumstances of life are really good, that doesn't necessarily make the depression go away. Uh, so I, I think what, you know the point that you're bringing up is a really important point for your listeners to be mindful of: is that depression just doesn't come and go dependent on you know what's going on in the moment of your life. Um, and it's you know if 
if there's some chronicity to how you're feeling, um, you know, with regard to experiencing the symptoms of depression, that that's the most critical thing there. It's not about, you know, if your dog passed away or, or you were, you know, let go at work. You know, those things, of course, cannot make you feel good. They can put you into a bit of a tailspin. But, but typically, you know, with some uh, sort of acute work and potentially medication, but usually medications are, are not necessary for adjustments and disorders, you know, those, those will come and go. But depression, you know, it hits you hard and it sticks with you. I, I, I think it's really important that you emphasize that because I think that there is a perception, at least in some quarters, that depression is, is like the flu. It comes and goes. And in reality, it, it is something that, that comes and lingers and lingers and lingers. And, and I think it's, it, it's critical to realize that it's not a weakness. It, it's, it's, it's a biological disease, much like any other chronic disease. Yeah, and I think that mis misperception that it could be associated with the maladjustment to a particular issue is maybe something that guys kind of buy into and say, well, I can fight through this. You know, if I just give it time, it'll go away, that kind of thing, where the reality is completely opposite. Depression is not something that you can or should try to fight on your own or let it pass. It just gets worse if you do that. Um, and in fact, uh, there's been research that um, on suicidality, and this was done in Australia with, I can't remember, it was, a, it was a massive sample of men. The strongest predictor of suicidality after accounting for all the other known predictors was a man's sense of self-reliance. They felt that men felt they had to be self-reliant? Yeah, so men holding on to the attitude that they needed to be self-reliant was the strongest predictor of suicidality. That is really fascinating, and I think a really critical fact for our listeners to really just wrap their hands around and not let it go is the feeling that you have to be strong. You have to do this yourself. You have to muscle through it. It's really a myth and it's self-destructive and it doesn't end well in, in so many cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what's interesting, self-reliance, it wasn't assessed with this complex measure or anything. There were two questions. So I just found the article is 14,000 men and the two questions or the, the two items that were used to assess self-reliance, simple things. I never ask for help. And the other one, it bothers me when I have to ask for help. That's it? Those were the That's, two questions? Those were the two questions, and that it was that straightforward. That's, um, that's devastatingly powerful, and yep. I think um, it sends an extraordinarily strong message. Um, yep. that that don't try to do it alone. Don't try to go it alone. Ask for help. Create a network. Create a tribe. I think from my own experience, I was fortunate to have family members, friends, and, you know, healthcare providers that were able to create an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And for me to understand, it wasn't something that you could just get over. And 
you know, for those of you out there struggling with this, my plea is that you you reach out, find a friend, talk to your partner for the first time and tell them everything. Ask your family doctor to refer you to someone who specializes in this because I think often family doctors prescribe or, or general practitioners prescribe antidepressants without really directing them to the right next level of resources. So yeah. the me- I think the message is strong. Don't go it alone. And you don't have to, right? Absolutely not. You don't have to and you shouldn't. And, and that's a good point to bring up around the medications. Medications can play a role. In essence, the way I, I, I put it into perspective is that if depression has hit you so hard that it's really difficult for you to concentrate, to listen to people, function at all, medications can help you become more accessible and help others be accessible to you. In a way, you want to try to get into therapy. And so if if that can make therapy more accessible to you, it's fine. But as a first-line treatment just for any depression, uh, it's it's not it's not cutting it. And in fact, we've we've done multiple surveys, large surveys of men around their treatment preferences, and the vast majority do not want medications. They actually want therapy. They want somebody to talk to. That is um, that is surprising, but it's encouraging. Um, yeah. That, that that it isn't the first line of uh, treatment, unless there are really you know striking clinical symptoms. Exactly. Um, well, John, you have been tremendously informative and, and an amazing guest. I am so pleased that you could spend a little bit of time with us. Well, thank you. I know is very busy schedule, and um, again, your website is Heads Up Guys. It is one of the most incredible and research-rich uh, mental health resources for men and, and for really anyone else who, who, who is interested in mental health or thinks that they have someone in their family with mental health issues. And the address is headsupguys.org. I encourage everyone to visit it. John, thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Great. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. And if there's any one thing that I can say about the website is that it's totally self-funded. We we operate on the basis of public donations. So if you feel like this is something that's worthwhile of your support, uh, please consider donating. It's the only way we can deliver our service. Well, thank you for letting our listeners know because it, it would be a shame for this resource to go away because it because it is it is fabulous and vital um Great. again dr john thank you so much and um we'll keep in touch great thank you mark you're welcome okay. This, okay. this has been erasing the stigma conversations about mental health in the legal profession my guest today was dr john ogradnichuk from the university of british columbia thank you for listening and we hope to talk to you soon Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.